So I don't know why it is that it took us so long to get into this this year. I think actually, you know what it probably was? It was that we were doing all that all decade stuff. That's probably why when we normally would have been starting these player rankings. But now it's time to get at. We're gonna have to do all five positions before the end of the year. And we started last year with the shooting guards in December, getting into it a little bit later. This year, as I mentioned, full disclosure, we're recording this a little bit before the all-star break but only be a game or two. So hopefully nobody on this list suffers a catastrophic injury. In the meantime, also I have uh, some nostalgia because it was this list last year that really set off my love affair with Suns fans and Suns Reddit uh, put me in jail for the rest of my life as one of their options of what would Suns fans most want to see. I think one of the other ones was like, uh, traded Amari Stoudemire for Steph Curry and won the coin flip for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I think I, I still got a pretty good number of votes. So very happy there. But I'm guessing Sun fans aren't going to have much to quibble with this year on the shooting guard rankings but before we get into those danny what the hell is a shooting guard to you how how are we defining these positions it's a real challenge especially with shooting guard because in some ways it is defined by by what it is not and i generally define positions defensively so it's who do you guard and so it's players who generally are not big enough to guard opposing threes you know they aren't those those forward sized wings but they also typically are not quick enough to guard opposing ones so they slide in between those two you and i differ a little bit on the group of guys that i think are too basically they're they're not good enough to guard anybody defensively so it's that they're (laughs) too they're too slow to guard twos and and too thin to guard threes so we disagree a little bit on those guys but i generally went with yours which is fine it's a distinction but an important point to emphasize here is that we are doing this putting that player on a on a normal team so if you are the boston celtics and you have a bunch of different wings and so somebody slides over you know depending on how they're using jalen brown or various things it's their what we consider to be their natural position so for example boston the only guy that is on their team that is in this that is eligible for this list as we defined it is marcus smart the other players jalen and tatum and hayward and all that they'll be at other spots don't worry about that and and everybody will only show up on the list once so if you're capable of playing multiple we went with what is best suited for that player sometimes accounting for positional scarcity not always and then the other part that is extremely important to emphasize here is not a positional definition but a criteria and that is the player we would most want to have if instead of the season starting in October and running through the regular season in the playoffs the season started right now knowing everything that we know right now yeah there is a small exception on that for guys who are injured Clay Thompson is really the one that's going to come in there of just let's say he were healthy and at the level of performance that we expect him to have starting a season and you know level of health but once because I don't want to just leave Clay Thompson out that's a it's a lot less interesting uh but yeah who for the rest of the season and crucially in the playoffs as well and so I think we're for me, you're going to see us skew more towards guys who can play in the playoffs defensively, who are proven playoff performers offensively in general. And it's important to remember what you're trying to accomplish as a team. Some guys are floor raisers, maybe get you into the playoffs. Maybe even they just take a bunch of shots to make you halfway respectable and you're not even in the playoffs. You know, a Zach Levine type of guy, right? He's, oh my God, he's averaging 26 a game or whatever it is. You know, how can he be below, you know, a Josh Richardson or something like that? Well, Josh Richardson it would play on more teams than, than Zach Levine. There's a lot of teams Zach Levine would come off the bench on. And 
Josh Richardson can defend at a playoff level. He's not going to just get completely attacked when teams really start going at matchups in the playoffs. And and another way to to put it for Levine is, does the floor raising he does really matter? You know, so yeah. like if there there are certain players where it's like, okay, if you bring a bring a team to a top ten offense and then you get there, then that's a different conversation. But players like Levine don't do that. Whereas if you put a somebody who's maybe a better fit as a smaller cog, you brought up Josh Richardson. I think that's a fair one. Marcus Smart, I think, is another one. They could play on a wider variety of teams, and that's another point to emphasize here. Is to me, versatility is a big positive. Whether you can plug and play or you can defend in different schemes, because that means that you provide value to multiple teams that also means that as your roster turns around even if you're on the same team you can be more useful whereas if it's somebody who really only does one thing and maybe they benefit from finding that place then that's great for them but it doesn't make them as plug and play it doesn't make them as versatile and and so you you are to a degree extrapolating some guys benefit some guys are hurt by situation but we try to to equalize for that to the best that we can which we know we're not perfect yeah i I mean if you're comparing zach levine and josh richardson there's some teams that'd rather have zach levine there's i think there's probably more teams that'd rather have josh richardson a couple other things here people might be like all right leo why is this important is this is just like oh you're trying to get some listens it's fun to talk about but it doesn't really matter i totally disagree with this action i think that if front offices went through this exercise they would give out a lot fewer bad contracts than they do you know it's particularly at the center position that's where it really i think hit home for me when we started doing these rankings of all right where are the real breaks here who which guys skill sets are replaceable and which aren't if you're paying this guy 20 million a year is he the 25th best shooting guard in the league or is he the 11th best or the eighth best you know that's to figure that well, out and and, and the yeah. other huge one here is by looking at comparables so for example yeah. like there's there i think it's my tier six there are guys in that tier that make over 10 million a year and there are guys in that tier that make the minimum and you know a lot of times we focus on the bad contracts to guys like andrew wiggins but if you pay a fringy guy like not not that he's even necessarily in that tier but like terrence terrence ross if you evaluate Terrence Ross as being a $10 million a year player, and he's actually a $5 million a year player, that's a huge difference to the Orlando Magic and in terms of the structure of their books and everything else. And so as much as the identification at the top is fun to talk about and interesting, I think it's even more important when you get into those fourth through seventh tiers or so, figuring out where guys fit. Yeah, because it's so easy to be like, oh, this guy is our starting shooting guard, right? Like, we're going to pay this guy starting money, or this guy is our starting center. We should pay him starting money. And you just get this myopic focus on your own team and what he does and don't realize that, hey, you know what? There are a bunch of guys who signed for $4 million in free agency last year that are 95% as good as this guy, and we just paid this guy $15 million. So I think it really is a, a pretty important exercise well, here. And, and one other huge thing to emphasize is that this is not a prediction of the future beyond the template that we set. So I'll give an example. Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I really like the film on him. I loved him at Summer League. I think that he will be an NBA player, but he is not there right now. And so do not think, you know, RJ Barrett, Nikhil, like a lot of these young guys, like there are very few rookies, even in the, like at all close to anything in this for me, because generally rookies aren't very good. They aren't providing a lot of value. So I don't give a crap what you were going to be in 2022. That is 
completely irrelevant to this other than if it, if a player, if I really like a player's upside, maybe they get to it earlier and so they progress. Yeah. But beyond that type of a thing, oh, and another thing, availability matters too. If a player is hurt all the yeah. time, if it, you know, more not like what they're going through right now, but if it's, you know, somebody who consistently misses time, then you have to have another player. And that, that availability is a skill to an extent. Yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. And last thing here, shooting guards and small forwards, especially once you get beyond like the real all-star level of players, become very difficult to evaluate Ugh. in part because so much of what they're doing is dependent on that three and d skill set and you know if this guy is shooting 32 percent from three this year we know it takes like 750 attempts to really figure out what a guy's true level is for three-point shooting so it kind of provides a lot of prediction of like okay what do you think this guy's shooting is going to be going forward if a guy's made an improvement how sticky is that if he's regressed a lot how sticky is that and and so this is, I think you, we can be the most prone to fluctuations and mistakes here. We try to normalize for that in our head. And then same thing defensively as well, especially for some of these guys that not many of these guys are going to really have you know, a lot of these guys are one position defenders, right? I think if you're more than a one position defender at the shooting guard position, that to me really bumps you up a lot in terms of your playoff value right. and versatility. Well, and, and also a lot of players can bump either direction. So so you don't necessarily, especially at shooting guard, just because I, like, I have fewer than 30 starting caliber players at the position, but that's partially because guys slide in from one direction or the other. Or, and it can also be that just there's a dearth of quality. That can also be a case. Yeah, and again, we're talking about this what position would you play on most teams in the league that really is kind of the question like josh hart for example really plays probably more small forward backup small forward for the pels because they just don't have anyone else with any kind of size at that position but he's six four he'd be a shooting guard uh, on most teams in the league um couple of quick notes here if you're looking for certain players where are they some guys we've moved to small forward as they've just kind of gotten older and a little slower and also because there's a dearth of players at small forward as well for some of these so danny green who was in our top 10 at least mine last year he was moved to small forward he's really guarding the best wings now for the lakers he's still playing shooting guard for them some but because of his ability to guard threes and also he's slowed down a little bit as far as his ability to guard smaller players i think i've moved him to small forward this year demar Derozan just can't guard twos anymore and he's really played small forward almost exclusively this year so he he's moved to small forward as well he's just a little bit slow Wes matthews also moved him to small forward um well and, and one yeah. that we're going to get asked a lot luca we have as a three that was the same thing we had last year just that to me that's the best that's the most logical position for him to guard in the abstract so that's why he's there malcolm brogdon we had on this list last year he has played point guard for the pacers he's averaging a ton of assists he's going to continue playing point guard for the pacers so it, he's going to be a point guard now and Roddy Magruder probably wouldn't have figured here but uh he's small forward now so let's take a oh, quick break oh, yes sure. no, oh. no 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 you had something else before yeah I, I just want to lay out we we emphasize this all the time when we do prospect rankings and stuff but remember how you and I do tiers so that those are the more important lines of separation. If you have players in a different tier, there is a meaningful difference in quality between them. Players within the same tier, please don't get fixated that player player X and player Y, they're in the same tier, one's over the other. They're often very close. That's why we have them in tiers. All right, now, quick break, and then we'll get right to it. Okay, tier one, number one player by himself, 
James Harden. No arguments. I mean, if we had Luka as a two, that would have been a more complicated conversation. However, James Harden by himself. And not only that, what I think is, is the gulf between number one and everyone else is, is striking because James Harden, definite All-NBA player, you know, first team All-NBA caliber guy. There isn't anybody else that we have classified as a, as a shooting guard in this that I think of as a clear-cut All-NBA player. There are guys who can do it if they have a great year. I mean, including somebody who's on a future cheer that made it last year. But nobody who firmly establishes themselves there. And I thought that was kind of surprising. But also, reminder that point guard is typically a more important position. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody here who's clear-cut as the number one option on a playoff team, even beyond this. Yeah, originally uh, I had that as a tier of like the best player on a or, very or, good or team. Or I should say, maybe not number one option, but best player yeah, on a, I, on a Yeah, that was team. actually one of my tiers. Like, because I, I try to think of tiers, but as I'm originally laying it out and then I change the titles as I draw the lines. And I, I immediately had no one in that tier and said, okay, I need to redraw this and then did. To me, the biggest argument about Harden is just he's not a shooting guard anymore. That that's probably the biggest yeah matter that, of that, that his posi- that we're defining his position incorrectly. That's I, that's I mean, an interesting argument. I mean, he's guards fours and sometimes even fives at this point yeah. for Houston. And if you want to say he's gonna chase guys off of screens or like you know actually guard the other teams too i think he's i mean they switch a lot but he definitely hard pressed to do i mean if you can't even get over a screen at all defensively but he's number one he's kind of grandfathered in everyone thinks of him as a shooting guard he's shooting guard size so he's on shooting guard on the all-star ballot all that kind of stuff yeah i mean so we'll keep him there i mean everyone thinks of him as a shooting guard but it's it's worth thinking about that he's kind of he's almost more power forward defensively at this point in time so that's the end of my tier one tier two now i have as basically all-star level of players going down even to all-star level in the east um and my number two overall shooting guard although again these guys are all in the same tier so pretty close between them is uh devin booker at number two i don't have much of a problem with that devin booker is my number three i i have him below clay thompson and i clay was the hardest to rank because we don't know sure. exactly what he's going to be after this acl tear i actually had clay in a tier by himself and the reason why is because he is so much better than all of these guys defensively and he is the only shooting guard in this caliber that is a tr- like really derived significant value on that end and he's also an offensive positive you know like that to me that's different i'm have no problem with booker you know that was my original my original thing was i had booker second and had him in this tier but then i went i thought about how how to put in clay thompson and thought that was appropriate but yeah booker i mean so booker beal well, well let, let's talk about the the thompson versus booker sure. thing actually so clay i had down at number five and in this this tier it's just hey he's gonna be in his 30s sure he's coming off a torn acl i don't think defensively i mean that's where you'll see a big slip i do think you know compared to victor oladipo you know even though oladipo is younger i think clay is game with his strength his height his shooting ability that that can age a lot better than uh, oladipo coming off a catastrophic injury also i think an acl is not as bad as a torn quad tendon which we haven't don't have many analogs for but i kind of think of it as the same as like a torn patellar tendon um in terms of the atrophy that can occur and also the fact that oladipo as we record this has not looked that great coming back so far um but i think i'm just i i coming off an injury like that being at that age i'm not sure defensively like he may end up even really being more of a three now it's possibly um i don't know if he's going to be able to chase point guards around the way he used to coming back for this we'll see what kind of shape 
deep. He's well, and that and that's really that interesting from too. a team building perspective, though. But I think he'll still be good defending those guys. It's, it, it it hurts his value out of there. And then the other part for Clay is his. I think his efficiency, you know, like true shooting numbers have been augmented, have been buttressed by being on the Warriors. However, I think he he could handle a larger volume, and he hasn't had the opportunity because he's played with yeah. Steph Curry. It, and he's Durant. never had a chance to develop any kind of like a pick and roll game. Yeah, and so uh, I don't I don't give him as much of a ding there. You know, like how much of what Devin Booker does could Clay Thompson do if if given the opportunity? And you know, and and what would Booker do if he were you know on the other way if he were put on a team as a secondary option, all that type of stuff? And I think Booker's looked better in some of those roles. But yeah, so let's get into the, what I well, think. So, is the so what? One more thing on Clay too. I mean, okay. this point has been made before, but yeah, if he were playing at the same level as last year, he would have been my number two still, even above Booker, because yeah, he he may not be the number one driver of efficient offense uh, on a team, but Clay Thompson might be the best, one of the best ever number two, number threes on a championship level team. And those players are really hard to find as we've established. I mean, to be great defensively and to be that level of shooter that you can never, ever leave and a solid 20 point score. I mean, that is just such a rare skill set, particularly from the two guard position when back in the day, he used to be able to really guard almost one through five uh, and was intentionally put onto even smaller players a lot of times or that and then he guarded Kawhi Leonard in the final did a pretty darn good job on him I mean like that kind of versatility having an unbelievable number two who fits on any team you can make the argument that you're more likely to win a championship with that kind of player on your roster than with a Devin Booker type of player yeah. on, and, on and your that's roster. a big part of why I have Clay higher than, than Booker but the the discussion that I want to get into because we both ended up going the same way on it is Devin Booker versus Bradley Beal not necessarily saying that you have those guys in sequence I do, but they have. I, I do also. Brent they have Beal similar. They have similar profiles. They have similar roles on similarly successful teams. And due to John Wall being hurt and a bunch of other things, the surrounding talent, I, there are differences, but they're not too far apart. And for me, the reason why I put Booker ahead of Beal, partially I think Booker's been better to start the year. I think Beal, you know, like to me, it was almost as egregious that Beal wasn't an all-star as Booker for similar reasons, that they're not the reason their team suck. But part of the reason that I put Booker ahead is that he's shown so much growth in the recent past that if we're projecting this out, you know, you get another eight months of season and playoffs, Booker's going to improve more than Bradley Beal is. So if they're close now, I'm going to defer to the player who's on the right side of the aging curve as opposed to the player who's a little bit a little bit closer to the top. Yeah, I also am concerned with the drop in three-point shooting for Beal. Sure. And uh, down to 32% this year, 35% last year, 38% the year before that. And he really, he's been outstanding. He's improved getting to the foul line a lot more this year. But his overall efficiency is just not the same as Booker. I mean, Devin Booker, true shooting, 62% true shooting. That's like better than James Harden. Now, he doesn't have the same usage as James Harden. Uh, and, and the other thing that really... Uh, and Beal has some of this too, but that has impressed me about Booker is that he's not just dribble, 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 run, pick and roll. Everything has to run around me. I have really become a believer that he could fit in much better as a number two option on a better team now because he has these quick transition attacks. He's coming off of screens. He's getting cuts. He can post up in addition to all of that uh, ball dominant pick and roll stuff that he'd done previously in his career his off the bounce three I think is a little bit better than Beal's also Beal to me still has a higher upside defensively he's at 
least has done it before at a decent level defensively they both have sucked this year um and booker showed a little bit at the start of the season but the numbers are just as bad as ever for him defensively now uh and he's really struggles as a help defender on ball he can be like semi okay if he's like really locked in on trying to defend one guy so you know I, this was tough for me um but i think booker also the other thing is like beal you know he's they have this really good offense but like they're not a real team right now washington like they don't yeah you it's like it's possible if you just completely punt on defense and don't have any good defensive players and you're playing like you know bertans and hachimura like you they have to play a lot of lines like center at times this year and like you know thomas bryant who's just an all-offense player like yeah you can have a good offense if you're willing to have an even worse defense by just playing all offensive players and so i don't like you could say yeah beal like the offense been really good with him on the floor but it's hard to give him that much credit for that i mean i still give him a lot of credit but not as much as booker where they actually have like some real defensive players they're not just totally punting on defense and yet he's still driving really efficient offense and his own individual numbers are a lot better and if you look at rpm for example booker second in this group uh in offensive rpm bradley beal is fourth ben mclemore third <laughs> by the way uh but he'll show up it, at some point on this list not not, not soon <laughs> but at some point uh yeah so so, so, so that's why i have booker better and, and as you mentioned booker's a little bit younger i think he if you're gonna say hey who's gonna improve over the course of the next year you probably have to go with booker a little bit more over beal um who do you have then so you got hard number one clay two, two booker three beal four correct and i went with beal over donovan mitchell that was that was an easier call to me i thought booker booker beal was tougher than beal donovan mitchell mitchell can has been as part of successful offenses before i think that he has better defensive tools that we don't see it possession by possession as much as i hoped going back to before his rookie year but he's still a, a dynamic offensive player he's still can be an it uh, can be a, a really important part of a really good team he is that right now but of course you know acknowledging that he has a very different role and like the jazz don't need him to do what the suns and wizards need the last two guys i ranked to do yeah i mean certainly you can say that hey jazz have had the best offense in the league since december 15th like mitchell has been probably the number one guy on that jazz offense but they have a lot of other really good stuff uh, on that offense too i mean he is shooting 36 percent from three on some pretty difficult attempts just a few too many floaters and mid-rangers you know 50 percent from two is not amazing the efficiency is not as high i mean when you consider some of the other weapons that they have for him to be only pretty much league average true shooting is not amazing to me you know i think again booker just creates so much more efficiently than mitchell does mitchell is definitely better defensively it's still close to me between mitchell beal and and booker yeah, and they're Those all, guys the, are same all the same tier for me so so that's very very close um and you know we'll see mitchell had a rough playoffs last year bookers and Beal aren't even going to get into the playoffs this year so you know i don't think that that's a particular tiebreaker either um then i had one other guy in this tier did you have anyone else or no i did not uh but i'm interested because i was torn on one guy and i'm going to see if you put him in so this is going to be a controversial inclusion. Statistically, there really isn't an argument for this guy being in here. But part of this is just based on that I think his game travels really well to the playoffs and he has been a playoff performer, has been on a winning team for a long time. That's CJ McCall. Yeah, I was torn on CJ and I was also torn on Victor Oladipo because Oladipo, it's it's not about what he is right now. It's, you know, can he get back to yeah. what he was? But for me, CJ, it's been a couple of years. You know, like that, that was the bit, I remember like, 
right? With yeah, these- he's only really had like one above average efficiency season in his career. I think we, I think you have to kind of punt on that for the regular season. Yeah, and with and with CJ, he a, a guy who kind of bridges some of these innings eater gaps where he, you know, we, we some of the stuff we criticize Levine for. I wonder what if CJ was given the reins in a way, you know, there've been stretches of time when Dame's been out. I just couldn't put him in the same tier. I just don't trust him as an overall offensive engine the way that I do with the other guys. And also, it's not like he's this this monstrous defensive player or anything either. There have been times that he's been a part of successful defenses on the Blazers, but I think that's more stats scheme and personal rather than CJ being particularly good. Yeah, so really what this comes down to is this guy can ISO and can create good shots in the playoffs. His game just holds up better in that playoff crucible because he's just... The mid-rangers that he takes are very difficult for teams to deal with and i I, i'm still i'm still torn on it though it's just like and it's kind of too bad that booker and beal you know we haven't seen them in the playoffs recently um and and mccollum we have that memory of them getting to the west finals last year i mean that could very easily be causing me to overrate mccollum so i'm uh we're still we're still facing spillover effects from the bracketing of the western conference last year Yeah, we'll uh, we'll be facing those spillover effects for like twenty years. That finished out my tier. So I had I had I was three through five: Booker, Beal, Mitchell in that tier. And then this is where we're probably going to have more disagreements because at least it's where I got the most stressed out. I called this tier four above average starters. So players tier tier four. Yeah, because I had Clay in his own tier. Oh yeah, okay. But so but again, it's this is my six through ten above average starters. Very different skill sets. But I thought of them as all having, you know, and some of them are more valuable playoff competitors, something like that. And I didn't feel super comfortable about it. But how this group ended up being defined was that I thought they were all better than the guys below them. So, like, that's really how the line got drawn. And for me, this group is five guys. CJ, we already talked about. Victor Oladipo, who I technically had at six if we're drawing. This is the last one where I actually numbered the players. Yeah. Oladipo, CJ, Josh Richardson, Marcus Smart, and Evan Fournier. Okay, so I'm almost totally in agreement with you there Oladipo I had and he's got the most volatility of anybody on this oh, list yeah. probably um but I still think at a minimum he's going to be able to hit shots be a really good defensive player you know it's just a question of like is he going to be a star but even if he has to retreat into another role now he could be the like still gunning to be a star and just be actively damaging you you know that could be the case especially with a new contract coming up so maybe he could really drop down this list but I, I mean the defense has looked as good as ever in the, this return for him and so you know he's worked on his shot i think he'll be at least a, a quality enough shooter and will have some ability to drive so i mean i still think he could be a very solid playoff performer uh, richardson i agree with you smart you know he started off shooting it really well from three he's now down under 34 percent from three that's a, that's a concern but he also can guard four positions i mean and he that's really, why he's yeah. here for me i mean he's maybe the most valuable i would say he it's i mean between him and drew probably the most valuable defensive player six foot five and under and i mean and what makes smart different than drew i love both of those guys is that smart can defend up and so that means he kind of in some ways transcends the two guard position and that's incredibly valuable because then you can play him with a larger variety of players and more importantly 
certainly you can play him with other guys who aren't as good defensively because let's say you can get a three a three who maybe they're not perfect on twos but you don't have to put them on the best threes that's a lot easier to handle from a personnel perspective well and you can also throw this in too that he's actually capable of playing backup point guard for you too absolutely which uh, which is big uh, to have that sort of versatility uh and i mean you know is he gonna run amazingly efficient offense for you as a backup point guard no but he can run a little bit of pick and roll he can shoot it well enough to be off the ball he does all the hustle play stuff so uh, yeah i i feel comfortable with him here the guy i have fournier down in the next group the guy who i still have up here and this is another one where it's kind of more hopefully predictive of what he's going to do rather than what he's done so far this year is eric gordon and gordon last year you remember he completely shut down donovan mitchell in that jazz series he still takes those really deep threes he obviously is shooting it very poorly because and his drive game has been bad he's coming back from that knee surgery age 31 season he also had 50 and it came against the jazz a a little bit ago i think he still has that capability but when you consider his switchability ability to be a plus defender across multiple positions his strength ability to drive and get to the basket uh you know he's probably with Westbrook and Harden he's maybe a little underutilized right now and so this just assumes that he's going to shoot it better than he has obviously too I mean that's that's more of a, a going forward thing and you know I could easily be wrong here like he could just he had the surgery he's 31 he could just be moving into a totally new phase of his career where he's just not a, a high level of starter anymore but still if he can just get back to where he was even at the end of last year I think he has easily earned this spot Gordon was tough for me I have him a tear down and part of it was when you look at the the overall profile I agree with you in the playoffs last year or just at moments in time where he, he did a really nice job defensively but offensively he really did take a step back and some of that could be recovering from surgery maybe he'll maybe he'll return to that form but I mean 31 32 he's going to turn 32 in in December so I guess that would be towards the end of this season as we constructed it you know like last year 12.2 PER 55 true shooting and then those numbers are down this year but again small sample size under a th- under a thousand minutes played availability has not been a problem for Gordon in the recent past which is I'm sure driving Pelicans fans insane considering all the time he missed when he was in New Orleans but yeah I, I just didn't feel as comfortable about it as you and also Gordon to there there's a line for me where I start caring more about the playoffs and that is where I think that player also is a significant part of getting you there so Marcus Smart is kind of maybe right around that threshold for me where I think Smart is I think Smart is better and he provides more regular season value but again and so like Clay Thompson, he's a damn good player. I think Clay Thompson, even if he weren't on the Warriors, his teams would make the playoffs a lot when he's healthy. And so like then being a playoff performer matters more. And so I, I just don't quite have Eric Gordon there. But again, this is I, I love his game. I think that that he also has more plug and play ability if the shooting comes back than most of the guys on this list due to his incredible strength. And yeah. that is and so like yeah, they're using him in a switching system right now, and that's really good for Eric Gordon. But if he were not in the switching system, he'd still be helping. Yeah, I mean the numbers for Gordon are really ugly right now. 33% from three is not crazy bad, but 46% from two. A lot of that was his early season struggles. And they've, there's been so many other changes in Houston. I haven't been as locked in on what he's been doing. Well, and he's not making shots around the basket as much. Yeah, which is yeah I mean, where you're shooting 46% from two and they don't really take any mid-rangers, you would have to assume that. 
So, but he still takes those really deep threes. He's still going to get respected by the defense. And we'll see what happens with him. He's certainly, if he doesn't get better, he'll be way, way down this list next year. But I still, I, I just don't believe that he's this bad. But I don't know fully what his health situation is. Maybe that surgery was just kind of shuffling the deck chairs around and he's still going to be bad. Uh, he obviously was really struggling at the start of this year. So Fournier, I have a little bit below in my tier four, which is kind of, you know, tier three to me was like very solid starters with two-way ability and tier four that's where i started to get into guys with a little bit of different skill sets fournier he's shooting over his head from three this year he was down last year which i think we had him a lot lower last year you know maybe probably down in like the 20s um he does have that playmaking ability we haven't really seen him at the highest levels trying to defend uh, some of the best players in the playoffs and you know he's just kind of a jack of all trades master of none and so i think he can fit in on a lot of teams but he's also not really going to make a difference on a lot of teams either um, and, and I compared him to Bogdan Bogdanovich before when we were talking, doing some of the uh, trade deadline preview stuff. And I think that those two guys are very, very similar. I had th- those guys in uh, my tier four. And then I have three others, two somewhat different players, Lou Williams and JJ Redick. I know Redick is coming off the bench right now, but he still is, I mean, he's the same guy he's always been. He's still shooting it incredibly well. And we saw that with the right defenders around him, he could hold up defensively in the playoffs last year. Uh, Lou Williams and uh, Will Barton, uh, who's taken up huge step forward this year he has and and barton i sometimes fixate and i think you do too on the lows with him and and I, you know he's he's not well suited for the rigors of playing the three against playoff competition that's something that could rear its head against the nuggets this year as well we'll see what ends up happening but as a regular season performer and if you slide him back to the two those things matter a lot less and he is a natural two guard who is playing out of position in denver due to their scarcity issues my tier i i called them probable starters and they're all players that have pretty intense strengths and pretty intense weaknesses and it's it's a weird motley crew so we I'll, I'll focus more on the players we haven't discussed so barton and this is the chair where i said i don't have i don't have numbers on the players so they're not in any sort of order as i thought about it barton and gordon we've already talked about a lot jj reddick we just discussed a little bit then i have three more guys sorry four more that are all speculative in one direction or the other and they're they're just guys a lot of times they're just guys that i like that i think are going to play their way here Gary Harris, if he can ever find his goddamn jump shot again, like he's still a good defensive player and I don't see a particular reason other than some stuff with injuries to think that his offensive game is going to stay this bad, but it's now been well, a season been, and a half. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's been quite some exactly. time now. So, and, and so so yeah, I had him down in this group of guys who I kind of were like more really one-way guys. Sure. Um, and and that's and that's fair. Like he's he's sort of my Eric Gordon, I guess you could call it in that sense. Um then the other ones that are, are one of them I disagree. We we had a discussion about whether he actually counts as a two. You think that he does, and that's Duncan Robinson. I believe that Duncan Robinson's shooting is legit, and his deep, you know he's getting a benefit right now in terms of let's say RPM from being on this awesome Heat defense. I do not think he's a value add. We even saw the Warriors attack him on Monday Monday night before the All Star yeah. break. And no, he he's bad defensively. He's bad it, defensively, it, and it's going to become more of a problem. Like yeah, the the numbers on him defensively, the on off stuff aren't aren't bad, but I, I agree with you, he's terrible. Yeah, it's coming but the 
offensive value is there, and you know he obviously doesn't bring Clay, what Clay Thompson does on D. But the uh, somebody who has a jump shot that you have to respect, and somebody you have to pay attention to, who also can move well without the ball, is just unlocks so much with other players. Even if they're being used primarily as a decoy, which Duncan Robinson is not, he's given permission by Spo to fire away. So I have Robinson in this tier. Then the other two I feel queasy about. Part, one of them because I've been low on him forever, and the other one just because he hasn't really done it yet. Landry Shamit. Basically, it's just like, well, if it works for Redick, he's not quite the shooter that Redick is, but I think the theory there, and I think Shamit's defense will be fine. And then the other one is Tim Hardaway Jr. Just, I, I could, I didn't think it was fair to put him any lower considering how well he's played this year. Yeah, I mean, the three-point bombing has been really good, and he had a period where he just couldn't miss, and he was shooting over 40% from three. But the efficiency is down a little bit. I mean, he is playing on this unbelievable offense, and he deserves a lot of credit there. Uh, his defense is bad. Yeah. You know, he's certainly miscast as a, even at times a perimeter stopper for them when Phineas Smith is out of the game. So that's that's a problem. Um, but he's got a higher usage than some of these shooting specialists. So the lack of efficiency isn't that bad. 8.9 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. That's a big number that I look at with some of these guys in terms of what your gravity is. How many threes are you getting up? I mean, that that's actually part of the reason why I'm still okay on Eric Gordon because he's just getting up enough threes. He's taking 10.8 per 36 minutes. And so that's a good indication of what your level of gravity is going to be. Uh, Duncan Robinson, by the way, just so we have the numbers on him, (laughs) 67% true shooting, 9.9 three-point attempts per 36 minutes, and he is shooting 44% from downtown on some very difficult attempts. I mean, he, I mean, if you just watch it too, like he's got that level of gravity now where he comes off a screen and he causes miscommunications. Two guys run to him. Like it is, he definitely causes a lot of problems with his ability to shoot on the move for some of these teams. And it is worth noting that Robinson is, he's 25 turns 26 in April. So I do think that there is more growth in his game. The heat do a great job of developing guys, but I don't think that he's going to get to the point where like, he's getting to the line all the time you know like the 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 the, the general weaknesses in his offensive game i'm not sure are going to be corrected however the strengths are so extreme and he has positional size especially for counting him as a two that i i just had him up here i don't know if you did uh yeah i had i had him in my tier five kind of one-way guys okay so um okay so who is there anybody in your tier four that we haven't yet mentioned no, I mean, Lou Williams, we probably need to talk about a little bit more. Okay. And, you know, we're harping on Duncan Robinson's defense. It's not any worse than Lou Williams or J.J. Reddick's. It's just that those teams are kind of used to having to deal with him, with them. And, and Duncan and, Robinson. And, like, RPM isn't, yeah. isn't telling us that those guys are good defenders, whereas it, it currently is with Duncan Robinson. Yeah, but, I mean, the way we've seen teams kind of go after Duncan Robinson in the last even, you know, probably five, ten games or so, Miami just switches him on to guys and lets them go to work. Like, they're... They're not doing things like with Ruddick where it's like, okay, we're not going to switch him on to the other team. We'll have him help and recover. Lou Williams, if he gets stuck on a guy, they basically just instantly go and double team that that player. So, um, you know, we'll see if it, that changes at all for Robinson. But, you know, he's, I don't know that he's as bad as Lou Williams or JJ Reddick. He at least has like a little bit of size. Um, although I'd say Reddick is probably maybe fulfills his health responsibilities a little, a little bit better. But so here, here's who else. Uh, but Lou, I think, you know, he's still, we've shown that he can helm 
helm an efficient offense so going back to last year uh his two-man game his individual efficiency is always right around league average but usually when he's out there as the main guy uh especially in that pick and roll with harrell good things are happening for the offense and i'm not sure if you compare him to zach levine who i have down a tier below him the offense has not looked as good with him out there yeah uh, i have those guys in the same tier but it was close like lou williams is at the very top of my next year yeah and i guess you know a lot of it depends on the role too you know lou williams could look a lot worse defensively if he had to start you know they still although he can finish a lot of games they line him up against backups a lot of the time so he doesn't get killed as much defensively whereas zach levine has to start and he's even is the guy with the most size sometimes on the wing for the bulls which is uh scary to think about do you have anybody else because i think i think there are going to be people who are surprised that some of the names that we haven't mentioned i think a lot of those guys get tackled in my next tier but i want to save them well well so so yeah my tier of kind of one-way guys so just to be clear we're not ranking these guys in order anymore eric gordon was my number 10 i didn't rank in order beyond there so this is kind of the like 15 to 22 range here okay gary harris you mentioned landry shamit you mentioned i got those guys in there duncan robinson zach levine and again i, I mean levine maybe we should be, oh my god like he was getting all-star consideration uh you know he's putting up uh, these crazy numbers but his own efficiency is right around league average yeah he shoots the three very well off the dribble but he hasn't been able to leverage that into efficient offense for his team what most teams are willing to just let him take those shots and yeah he makes it but he's not drawing double teams at the point of attack he's not driving to the basket setting up other players he's in a tough ecosystem they don't have a lot of shooting you know Otto Porter being out definitely has hurt him but they're not even really like that much are they that much better offensively with him on the floor I think they're a little bit right but nothing nothing crazy am I maybe I'm misremembering that let me actually double check that oh no no what it was is that they're better but they're still not really that good that's right. What it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They so far for the year as of when we're recording this, the Bulls do have. Yeah, I mean, he has one of the a significant differential. It's he's 87th percentile in on-off differential, but the Bulls have a 107 offensive rating when he's on the floor, and that's bottom third of the league. Yeah, and and you could say that the surrounding talent is is below average, but I wouldn't say it's like you know abysmal or anything like that necessarily. And yeah, then it, the, it might be abysmal right now. The other but, reason, but for a lot of the year, the other reason why Zach Levine is down here for me is he's terrible defensively and that hasn't improved and if you want to be a a good team would want somebody better at what Zach Levine does than Zach Levine and he has so much less value to other teams so it's a criticism I made of DeMar DeRozan for a long time too and I think was largely ended up being verified over over time I mean the Raptors success is very is on a lot of different things but that's that's the problem like if you are especially if it's the mentality issue and it's going to be so interesting to see this with Andrew Wiggins on the Warriors and a few other examples is we wondered about this with with Devin Booker he succeeded has thrived with different surrounding talent and Zach Levine just hasn't but he just he doesn't have the tools and so if you slide him I, I think he's somebody who makes a bad team better and wouldn't make a good team much better and i could well, be wrong yeah. i acknowledge here's, that there's here's a possibility the, here's another way to think about it how many teams in the league would he be the number one option on like charlotte and how maybe, good would those maybe, teams be they'd all suck yeah maybe new york uh i mean there's not many and then when he's not the number one option then his other flaws really come home to roost a, a lot more and so that's that's kind of a, a way to think about it for him um other uh, 
two other guys I had here. Norman Powell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in my next know, year. Yeah, I mean, he's struggled to stay healthy this year, but it's really been upper body injuries uh, that have been the problem. And, I mean, incredible efficiency, over 60% true shooting. Uh, I'd I'd call him, at minimum, an average defender and someone who can switch some, c- can really be a, a part of a very good defense, uh, gets out in transition, excellent finisher, can run a little pick and roll, never passes, but his shooting, you know, I think he's a little over his head uh, from the three-point line right now. But I think he's a, a quality, he's a two-way player yeah, and it does some nice things on both ends. He doesn't have any major weaknesses in his game outside of the passing. And that's not a huge concern when you're just asking him to attack closeouts and not initiate too much. So yeah, I actually have him up there, you know, kind of in this close to the top 20 shooting guards in the NBA right now. And then an old friend, perpetually overrated in these quarters, some might say, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I have him in my tier too, but my this tier is bigger for me, so it's eighteen. You, you, you to, have you have him in your tier also. You in mean? my tier also, yeah. No, not in my <laughs> tier too. I'm not you. Um, but but this this group for me is is larger because I didn't do the one way distinction. The way I put it was fringe starters are good backups. But the hilarious thing about that distinction, as that's my estimation of player quality, is that they're the eighteen through thirty one ranked guys. So if you distributed it equally, all but one of them would theoretically start, except that. You of guys sliding over from the one and from the three um so this is i think the last one where we should talk m- m- definitely talk about all these guys i ranked all the way into the 60s or like you know i could tear it out all the way into oh the 60s. wow that's that's uh yeah i, I went down to like the 30s that's, mostly that's just because i, I created this gargantuan list and then i'm like well i might as well put everybody somewhere and so then i i, I did that yeah. well, and well and that list will be available patreon.com slash duncan larue where it, we will, it will. Uh, uh, also also uh you can listen to the mailbag pod that we did uh last week as well uh we do a monthly mailbag pod for subscribers also you can support the nba cast uh, with that patreon.com slash duncan the rue um but oh so so i did want to say though you had 18 through 31 at this huge tier to me that's another tier because i kind of make the distinction be there okay you're elite on one end or very very good on one end you know duncan robinson zach levine landry shamet um you know gary harris defensively buddy healed on offense and then when you i get into this next year a bunch of names that you're probably i'll read them off and i think they'll probably all be in this massive 18 to 31 tier that you have um but those guys i really kind of see as more one way sort well, of so guys I'll, so i'll explain why i did it just briefly before you get into yeah, it yeah. which is i saw the overall player quality about the same and so i i get what you're getting what you're going for is the idea that there are different types of players but for me the, the way i conceive of tiers is it's it's based on overall player quality so if if yeah i mean lou williams and and Jeremy Lamb are very different basketball players, but I think their overall value to the average team is pretty similar. Yeah, and I think you can get to the point here after like number 15 where it, it it's not completely insane to rank all these guys in the same tier because you're sort of at the, all right, I can make the argument that this guy is better than right. this guy. So, you know, so let's, let's hear let's hear yours, and then I'll I'll, I'll chime in with some stuff. Okay, uh, Luke Kennard, Kevin Herter. This is in no particular order. Luke Kennard, Kevin Herter, Karis LeVert, Tim Hardaway Jr., Jeremy Lamb, Jordan Clarkson, Kendrick Nunn, Dante DiVincenzo, and Josh Hart. Just about all those guys, other than the ones that you've heard me mention in prior tiers, are there. I actually had Clarkson and Herter down. I think Herter this year, maybe some of it has been the injury stuff that he's been dealing with. I didn't. I don't think he's been quite as good. And the defensive stuff still bothers me, but it's not like Kennard's amazing defensively either. But yeah, I largely have those guys. I will Now I'll run through the ones that I have that I don't recall hearing much. You mentioned DiVincenzo, right? I did, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, DiVincenzo, I mean, for those who have been 
been following it's one of the best off on-off numbers in the league part of that is obviously because he plays for the box fit but i mean i think his deep three-point shooting is pretty good i think he can do that at a league average level i would predict going forward runs a little pick and roll great transition guy really scrappy good rebounder for well, a guard and doesn't take a lot off the table i think that's yeah. part of what makes him unusual within this group is is that and he, he just adds to the overall team athleticism in sure. a way i think that matters yeah okay so other players i don't recall hearing you mention but you might have an if so i apologize but he healed yeah I, I did mention him he was actually a tier above for me okay he, he was in, in that group of guys who are oh okay a, okay a little bit above okay. here yeah bogdan bogdanovich his teammate yeah got, got him he's actually a tier above he was in my tier you, you, four. You, you, like, in the... you like bogdan a little bit more in the abstract than i do um and we yeah. should mention bojan bogdanovich the jazz man is not on this list he's gonna be at the three um yeah you mentioned josh hart you mentioned kcp uh so then the only other two these are more speculative and i'm okay going out on a limb for them right now d'anthony melton and malik beasley i just like both of them i think they're going to be good beasley it's been more of an opportunity-based thing and melton i mean it's, it's memphis team has been a little bit hard to calibrate but melton i really like his defense and i think he can distribute a little bit and then beasley yeah i, I wanted to put melton in but he's shooting 27 percent. i don't care that's a little tough <laughs> yeah I, I, it's fair like those two guys yeah. i originally had them in the tier below and then i thought about it and i was like screw it like i think six months from now i'll i I, th- I think they'll be there so i was i was fine rolling the dice i'm i'm okay looking stupid rolling on a couple of guys the only other the other player that i considered doing that same thing with that i didn't was matisse thibel i love matisse thibel's defense and if the shooting continues then oh that- i i got him as a three okay yeah, let's uh, let's make a note of that because he he can't he can't dribble well enough to be a two to me. Well, but Macklemore can't dribble; he's a two. So yeah, but he's also like a great three point shooter, yeah, and he's also, like Thibel is like is small forward size. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it works well enough. And then the other guy, I mean, I think Tyler Hero is going to be he'll be a couple of tiers up eventually, but he's not there yet. And sometimes, especially fans of a given team, and I'm not criticizing Heat fans for this; it's just the way it works. Conflate will be, can be, and is. And with Hero, the can be and the can be is really exciting. The will be is you know pretty exciting too but the is is not all the way there yet and it's the same type of thing with rj barrett where even even if it works out they're just not there right now so anyone else that you really felt like we needed to discuss here um let me so you you brought up corkson he was in that tier well, well beasley i'm in agreement with you on i think it's just he's had a little bit of a rough year i'm not a believer in him defensively at all but he could turn out to be like you know a really solid scoring guard yeah um but yeah i mean the, i need to see big steps forward for him defensively um but he's going to certainly have his chances in minnesota to bomb away he definitely looked awesome in that first game against the clippers I, okay so i'm trying to th- basically the ones i'm thinking about are people ones that people might be angry weren't higher well well here yeah so we can maybe we can uh three guys i want to talk one of them one of them was hero um i mean he's just well in the negative on the impact metrics negative 2.57 pipm not incredibly efficient takes a lot of bad shots right now he's extremely confident and i think he tries defensively in and has pretty good instincts there but his tools aren't great so i need to see more of him defensively maybe in the playoffs to get a, a better idea of where he's at there yeah i mean um, like for hero it's it's, yeah. it's awfully impressive that he's shooting 39 percent from three on seven attempts per 36 but there isn't as much in the rest of the game like he ha- like i could see him yeah. being a better passer a better distributor than he is right now but it, i can't i can't say that that's definitely going to happen yeah it and could. a lot of empty calories 
issues on his two-point shooting as well. Oh, yeah. Um, R.J. Barrett, uh, I mean, he's been one of the worst players in basketball this year. Yep, he's, I mean, he's not consider, even in my next tier. He's in the one yeah. below that. Yeah, when you consider, consider his inefficiency and his usage rating, yeah, I think he'll take a little bit of a step forward next year. And certainly having a real team with real shooting around him uh, might help. You know, he's also been injured for a while. He's just coming back now. But uh, yeah, I, I think he just... You know what is he 46 percent true shooting and like pretty high usage and you know he's a rookie so his defense isn't yeah isn't going to be helping you and too like, much and being on so. the Knicks isn't helping him but yeah. it's also not the reason that he's shooting those no. low percentages no and, and, and well but i mean if you think about it he can't shoot right so how does it, it like maybe his efficiency would go up a little bit on another team but then his role would have to be much smaller as just kind of a driving closeouts kind of guy and he's not going to be a positive defensively as a rookie I mean, he's it's actively would hurt just about any team in the league with his style well, unless he really dialed it back into you know sort of like a a, a like josh okogi type of role which you know he's they that's not in his dna he's going to shoot a lot that's what he's always done and he's not going to make a lot of it at this point so he's going to hurt your team so that's he i mean he's below just kind of even like you know kind of below average starters to me now that the, we're not talking about him three years from now but as of right now he's hurting the team with the amount he's shooting and the inability to make him and i want rj barrett to succeed I, I want everybody to succeed but i remember partisans mostly knicks related some duke related we're talking we're we're talking about different elements of his game and then i think it was at one point where he's making free throws but he's at 60 percent for the season he is 118 out of 197 and then on overall yeah. jump shots for the season barrett is 30 percent he's 33 percent from three and then he is 31 percent on long twos that is terrible that's right uh okay so who are the biggest risers for you from last year I, I think especially if you consider the importance of the rise Devin Booker going from eight to three is is huge I mean he went from tier yeah. four to technically went from tier four to tier three but really it's tier four to tier two because of the way Clay Clay's was structured but that's a big jump relative to the players and and especially when you consider that a lot of the guys who were above him it's not like they were terrible it's just that he outplayed them you know I Donovan Mitchell CJ Bradley Beal Victor Oladipo but Oladipo is partially due to injury, but all of the, like, he, he just was better than them. And so he jumps them and jumps them in line. Yeah, the uh, Booker was a huge riser for me. Evan Fournier, uh, in large part due to the way he shot it better, and I've gotten a little more respect for his defense. Uh, you know, it's this is now. I mean, remember, keep in mind too with Booker when we were doing this last year and Fournier as well. You know, the Magic really were playing poorly. Steve Clifford had just started there; they didn't have this good defense. And then for Booker, he was missed a bunch of time with hamstring issues. He hadn't really even been at the point where he was driving efficient offense. He would have been much higher than I think I had him like you know number 12 or 13 when we did it december we did it december 13th and remember that they had that early stretch where they were playing point guards even though they had no point guards yeah if we had done this at the end of last year even booker would have been a lot higher than he was and this was really kind of a nadir for him when we did this last year um so fournier is up you know he's kind of in the the 15 range for me he was down in the 20s last year and marcus smart has made an increase as well uh just buying his three-point shooting a little bit more buying his playmaking a little bit more and uh you know he's still been a part of a really good defense even with the departure uh, of al horford he's been a huge part of that so uh that's kind of the theory behind him moving up some even though you could maybe argue his game hasn't changed that much it's just we've seen it for longer now um biggest fallers 
numerically, it's probably technically somebody like Etwan Moore, who was in, yeah. who was in my like low teens and is now basically off. He he was in one of those like bench player tiers that we didn't go into a lot of depth on. Um, but in terms of important, like in terms of players that were a little bit higher on the list, even though it's not that big numerically, CJ going from five to seven feels significant to me because it, I, I think for me he moved into a different tier. You didn't. Yeah, do that he, yet. he's just been passed by yes. Mitchell and and Booker. Right, and and if Oladipo were healthy, then we could we could have that conversation. So I think that I think that's the most significant drop, even though it isn't the largest numerically. Anybody else stand out to you? Um, yeah, I mean Oladipo and Thompson due to the injuries. Uh, you know, I think just in terms of how they played, like Terrence Ross has had a really disappointing year. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have him ranked that highly to begin with, but. I had you know, him in the twenties last of, year. I had yeah. Ellington in the twenties. He's fallen off. Um, yeah, and more obviously. So, and Gary Harris too. I mean, it just with you having to like now, it's like at this time last year we were just like, oh, you know, he's just been injured. He's a really good shooter. He'll figure it out. And now there are some major questions about no, that. No player has lost more footing while staying at a similar ranking to me than Gary Harris. Like it's, <laughs> I, I, I just feel like I'm just doing it out of anchoring and everything else, and because he was good at a young age, and so you generally think that those things are going to shake out, but it's entirely possible that it doesn't okay uh biggest potential risers for next year it's interesting because a lot of the like rookie type guys i don't think of as higher usage because that's really the higher usage low efficiency and then becoming more efficient isn't is an easy way to jump and that's not the game that tyler hero has that's not the game you know rj barrett has that but i don't think that he's can can i don't think his efficiency is going to spike um maybe karis lavert yeah, I mean, Lavert is under 50% true shooting right now. I mean, that D- is. DiVincenzo, if he's good in the playoffs and can establish himself, that he could end up, you know, maybe he gets sort of the. I don't think he's going to be anywhere near as good, but he gets some of the Clay Thompson benefit of, you know, not taking much off the table, brings a lot, and maybe that just pushes him up a tier or two. Malik Beasley, just because he might have the opportunity. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Josh Hart, maybe, depending on how OKC shoots. Yeah, jo- I mean, it's just they have so many so many shooting guards. Like, I would have said Nikhil Alexander Walker. I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity either. Thibel? Um, but you have this yeah. is S3. Yeah. Um, Zach Levine? Maybe. Could, could be one. I mean, it's if he really gets the right guys around him. Um, Landry Shamet, you know, depending on what type of a playoffs he has. I mean, Victor Oladipo, too. If Victor Oladipo gets back to the level that he was at in 17-18, then to me, he's, you know, might probably be number two on this list. And same thing with, with Clay Thompson. I'd say, I think both Clay and Victor are the biggest potential risers and the biggest potential fallers to me because just the uncertainty from the injury and what they're going to look like coming back. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, Furkan Korkmaz has been on a tear in the last month, month and a half or so. They're starting to run some of the, the old Reddick playbook for him. And so if he can continue to shoot like this, he's up to 40% from three now. If he keeps that up for another year and he has a good playoffs, he will be, you know, certainly you would think in like the top 30, which, you know, he's not really a candidate for right now. Um, I really like Kevin Porter Jr. If he could put together a nice a nice little stretch, he should have an opportunity in Cleveland because they don't have that many dudes. Yeah, I think it'll take a few years. Also, also him, Kevin Porter, shout out to being the only Cleveland Cavalier that I consider a shooting guard. So that's that's uh-huh. pretty impressive. I mean, they they start Did, two Dylan Windler. Dylan Windler can't get a. Oh yeah, I mean, I think of Windler as more of a three than you do, but yeah, I guess he does. We we were considering him a, a two for this exercise. Yeah. yeah, if you're a white shooter, you're probably a two. We can, <laughs> unless you're Joe Harris. Joe Harris has like a little more half to him. 
Uh, and Corver's a three. Yeah. Do, do, do we mention uh, Deontay Melton? I, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a possibility. I, I like Melton a lot. I don't know what the opportunity is going to be. Oh, we should also mention that Dylan. we're classifying Dylan Brooks as a small forward. That's why he's not on this yeah. list. Yeah. I mean, he's guarded small forwards pretty much all year. Yeah. So I, I think that's that's fair. Uh, Terrence Davis could really move up a little bit sure. here as well, yeah. I think. I had, I, mean, him in the, like I had him in that tier. One of the players I didn't mention in that tier we were talking about before. And the efficiency metrics are great for him. The on-off metrics are great. We just haven't seen quite enough of it yet from him. Um, anyone else as like a big potential faller for next year for you? Redick, if he just, yeah, if it just, just due to age. Yeah, it, I could Gordon. See Tim, I had Tim Hardaway Jr. high if the shooting just falls back to earth. I mean, th- he, this is the highest he's ever been by yeah. a mile and a half. Uh, or he just gets completely destroyed defensively. Yeah, like I had him, I had him in the 30s last year, and then he jumps all the way into the teens this year by virtue of you know something that could be finicky. Yeah. I mean, but it's I, not, it's not that hard to move up or move down. Frankly, like no, you just, it isn't. You know, once you, you get, get a little the, bit better. Defensively. Once you yeah. get beyond 10, it gets really easy. All right. Well, this is a, a good one here. Might be something coming after this. We'll, we'll see. We're recording this a little early. But uh, don't forget about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. And we will be back Sunday, starting again with the normal schedule, 15 and 60 on the teams that did actually do something at the trade deadline. And we'll have a few games under our belt. We can take a look at how all those new players are fitting in on those teams uh, that made moves at the deadline. So we will talk to you all then.